Please Joe Parafarm of the Ladies Working Dog Group. Are you feeling stuck with your gun dog training? Trust me, you're not alone and that's exactly why you need to be here. Every week we'll bring you the best tips and hacks to make training your gun dog easy peasy. We'll keep it straightforward, no fuss, just actionable guidance that you can put straight to use. So let's get started. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Found It, Fetched It. This week we are going to be bringing you a live recording that we shared on Wednesday in one of our Facebook groups and we hope that you absolutely enjoy listening to us as we discuss why your dog training is never a one and done job. By the way, if you're Ben Murray, my husband's friend, I'm really pleased to know that you are listening to this podcast. He told me he was very shocked to know that some of his friends are listening to his wife. But uh, thank you for contacting him and making my day and him. Good morning, ladies. Um, my name is Joe Parrott. I'm the founder of the Ladies Working Dog Group. This morning, we are going to be recording um, Friday's podcast, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. We're going to bring it live to you in Founded Festival. So for those of you who are not listening to our podcast yet, you can get to see what it's all about. Um, why you should be listening to it and how much fabulous free content we give to our listeners. So joining me for this week's podcast episode are uh, LWDG group expert Claire Denya and LWDG expert Samantha Thorny Croft Taylor. Would you like to say good morning, ladies? Uh, good morning, ladies. Uh, my name is Claire Denya and I'm based in Kent. Good morning, ladies. I'm Sam Thorny Croft Taylor and I'm based in Gloucestershire. Our topic for today is going to be all about why your dog training is never one and done. And we think this is a really, really important conversation to have, a really, really good topic to cover, because for a lot of people, we struggle with a new dog when we taught them something and they seem to get it great. And then we go somewhere else with them and they're like, no idea what you're talking about. So we're going to start by talking a little bit about the basics of dog learning. So uh, ladies, can we have a little chat about how dogs learn just to begin with? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think the most important thing to remember is that dogs typically don't generalise very well. Um, so when we think we're teaching the dog something new um, through whatever, whatever process we're using to do that, it's remembering that you're only teaching that dog that skill set or that behaviour in that location or scenario that you are in it doesn't necessarily mean that the dog is going to generalize that that behavior or that action means the the same thing somewhere else yeah exactly that and i think to sort of give a bit of an example um there to back up what you said claire if you teach your puppy to sit in the kitchen whilst you're holding a bowl of food it might pick up that quite quickly and it sort of gathers that what you want it to do in order to then get its food is to put its bottom on the floor and it happens to hear the word sit when you do it. But when you then move that environment outside or even just into a different room, you might have a piece of food in your hand, but probably not the whole bowl, particularly if you've gone outside. And you're saying this word to your puppy that as far as you're concerned, you've taught it what it means and the puppy is just looking at you completely dumbfounded. I've never heard this word before, what you're talking about. Um, so it's important, obviously, to go through those steps to to help the dog generalise. That word means the same thing wherever you are. And this, I think, like, I know for, for me, definitely, right, it's, it's, a fa- it's a source of massive frustration, isn't it? Because you start thinking, 
why do you get it there but not there and like I used to see it all the time right I would get something nailed in the house like in the garden and then I'd go flying up the farm and I'd say to dad dad watch you know watch the dog do this I'd be so like excited and then I would ask the dog to do exactly the same thing and they wouldn't and like dad would like laugh in his, in his, his lovely way but I would think oh my god you just are making me look a fool in front of dad type of thing I, I didn't for one moment understand at the beginning of my journey that my dog didn't understand what I was going on about. So can we talk a little bit about like the role of environment for dogs? Well, I mean, the environment, it it's a massive thing for a dog. Dogs sort of read the environment through their nose, their eyes as well. But there are so many more scents and smells that the dog can pick up that we can't and there's movement and there's weather and there's other distractions coming in um and obviously we speak about the uh the 3ds all the time and distraction is a, a big one of those so it would be i'm trying to think of an example but you know if you're trying to concentrate on working and uh, and you've got your neighbours drilling right next door, for example. You know, it's it's really difficult to concentrate on what you're trying to do. And it's similar for the dog. So the dog is out in this environment and they've got the smells of the rabbits. They can see next door neighbour's dog going past and you're asking it to carry out this task. Yet its head and its nose is a million miles an hour in every different direction. And it's struggling to stay focused with you until we've taught it that it can sort of focus different parts of its brain at different times and on different tasks. It is really important to remember, and those 3Ds, as Sam said, are so important in the training, the duration of time that you're asking the dog to do something, the distance at which you are from the dog during that thing um, makes a huge difference. And also that level of distraction, and it could be a distraction that you were not prepared for one that you just completely hadn't even thought about um just gets thrown in by the environment or by mother nature and there's nothing that you can do about that so it is important to prepare your dogs for as many eventualities as you possibly can now there are certain things that you just cannot ever prepare for but the more you can build a resilient and strong dog that trusts you to perform those activities and behaviours in as many environments and scenarios as possible, the less likely it's going to be that when you do get thrown a curveball, the less likely it is your dog's going to melt under those circumstances. So I think that's really important to bear in mind it's not just about getting the result, it's also about building trust and resilience in your dog, in the behaviours and actions you're teaching them, for them to be able to cope with the unexpected stuff. I know like some of the members would have heard me tell this story before, but like, you know, I always say to people, if people say to me, you know, is your dog like, like, like not 100% proof, but, but is your dog bomber on this every time? And I always say 99.9% on that because I allow for this 1%. I've learned that over time. And one of the biggest um, experiences I suppose I've had with dogs is my dad's, dad's dogs were pretty much 99.99%, right? He didn't take them out unless they were like that. And um, we were asked to go and um, beat on this uh, uh, estate that we'd never been to in a part of the country we never went to. 
And his incredibly well-behaved dogs, and I mean like trialing level dogs, they all came to a group of black turkeys. I think they called black turkeys. They were these big, massive turkeys with big black feathers all over the um, over their bottoms. And all three of his top trialing dogs run in and grabbed feathers out of these turkeys. And he was like going, well, I can't use the words he used. He was just incredibly shocked. His dog never did stuff like that. At the time, I sort of laughed. He managed to get them back and the turkeys lived through the experience. But I just think, isn't it funny that like even the best behaved dogs, sometimes we can put them in an environment with something that's so different that they think the rules no longer apply. Something that um, happened to me very recently, um, group class scenario, bunch of clients, and we found out that, well, basically three of the dogs in the group were really, really struggling. And it turned out that one of the female dogs in the group was coming into season. She wasn't in season yet, but she was coming into season. And that just blew the brains of those male dogs, young male dogs that were in the group. Um, and the owner of the female dog felt a little bit mortified. Um, but, you know, it, again, it's that understanding. The dogs can sense these things, smell things that we can't. And like, they know when a female is coming into season and it drove them crazy. And for the first sort of, you know, 15 minutes of the group class, everyone was like, why is my dog so distracted? Why is its nose on the ground? Why is it doing this? And um, I, I literally observed and just thought, yeah, this is not normal. This is not normally the level of distraction these dogs would be, in, you know, feeling here. They're used to training here. And that's what it was. And I think, especially if you take your dog for a walk, you don't know what else has been there, been in that environment, um, hours, minutes before you, and what your dogs are picking up the scent of, you know, past and present so it could be that it's just gone through but it could be that it went through a while ago but the dog still picks up on that scent we're completely unaware of this and this is where you know you hear about male dogs going off roaming and things like that and um you know it might be that some female dog owner was completely oblivious to the dog that to the fact that her dog was maybe coming into um season and that the next sort of few hours worth of dogs coming through that area could not do anything because of that level of distraction. And we could talk about this, and I'm sure Sam will back me up on this now, though, as well. When we talk about these things, like you just said, Claire, sometimes you can have a girl dog who has a season that with his very few physical, uh, not symptoms, that's not the right word, but this physical uh, identifiers. So she may be, you know, using the toilet a little bit more, but there may not be any sort of discharge. She may clean up there perfectly well. And in those um, situations, like you just said, people can get caught out, can't they? They absolutely can. Um, you know, female dogs can have silent seasons or they can have shorter seasons. Um, you know, they they potentially they're just very on top of keeping themselves clean. So actually, as an owner, you don't necessarily notice too much. Um and I think Claire's probably the same. If I've got clients that have got their dog has come into season, I'll say to them, okay, well, we'll just, we'll take a break while she's in season and then we'll revisit her afterwards for a number of reasons. You know, their their dog might not be feeling it. Their dog is going to be potentially distracted while she is in season. But also the dogs coming behind them in subsequent lessons through that day, like Claire just said, are not going to have their head in the game 
if an in-season dog has been on the field in front of them. When we talk about the role of environment, I'm sure there are people like watching and listening who are like, oh my God, then I what am, what am I up against? Because my my dog is has mastered this command in the living room, is perfect every time, is is perfect every time I go to group class. But um as soon as I step foot on the beach, it's all out of the window. What should I do? Is it a case of just continuing this proofing behaviour, taking them different places and having that attitude of my dog might not behave here because it's new? Yeah, it is definitely that. And I think it's also bearing in mind within that. So you just touched on a good example there, Joe, when you said the beach. The beach not only has different distractions of the sea, um, the smell of the sea, the seagulls and other kind of like wildlife you've got there. The ground alone is different. So unless you train your dog in a sand school, your dog may not have experienced sand before. So straight away, that's something your dog hasn't experienced. And that's without all of the other stuff. So at the moment, I'm going through this. We've just got a new puppy. She's 13 weeks of age. Um, She's at the moment a little sponge learning everything. Nothing that we are teaching her at the minute, nothing is proofed, nothing. I wouldn't expect her to be able to do the, the little, so she's 13 weeks out of age and the things that at the moment we're working on is generally good manners around the home, been doing crate training, sit, handling, stand as part of handling, um, to lay down, uh, to where the heel position is, a little bit of loose leaf walking, recall and play. That's literally, but that's a lot of stuff for eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Sorry, I use my fingers. That's five um, weeks. We've had all this stuff we're trying to teach her. None of that is yet ingrained. It's not ingrained behavior. Um, and it's certainly not proofed. Now she's done it in the house, in the garden, at our training field. And we've been going out to different environments to give her exposure. And we call that habituation and it's part of the socialization pro process. But I don't expect her to be able to do the skills that she's learning in the house in those environments yet. I will have a go at training them in that environment, but I'm not expecting it to look polished or wonderful. So an example might be we pop her in the car, we drive her to an environment, a new environment. It could be only five minutes up the road, but it's still a new environment. So it's always worth bearing that in mind. It could be just down the road from your house, but it's new. We let her observe a little bit. Then we bring her into the heel position, do a few paces of heel work, lots of praise for that. Then we let her have another observation of the world because she's got to not only learn the skill sets that we want to teach her, she's also, bless her, got to learn about the environment around her and learn to cope with that. That in itself is a learning process. Now, whether your dog is a puppy or an adult dog, every time you take it to a new environment, almost think about it in your head a little bit like a puppy. Haven't been here before. You've never been to this sort of environment. So we've got to teach you rather than expect you to know something. So that's how I think it can help as an owner or handler to think about that process is to consider the fact that from the dog's perspective, they don't understand that behavior or that action in this environment. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I I know like for our members, if you're listening and you're like, okay, well, how do I do this? It's in the Hot Mess Handler. Um, as this is going out as a podcast as well, if you're a gentleman listening, you can use the Hot Mess Handler. It's a standalone course. People can just get the Hot Mess Handler and do that separately. But we cover all this for members in the Hot Mess Handler. We also cover it in Sam's Puppy Training Masterclass. We always also cover this in Claire's Socialization Masterclass. So there's loads and loads of content to help you get through this section. But just to encourage the uh, conversation to go forward in the podcast, on top of what Claire's just covered there, Sam, you know, at what point do we think that the proofing and the generalization or the habituation, as, as Claire mentioned it, is, is enough? How long is a piece of string? I think is the answer to that one. You know, every dog is unique and some dogs pick it up a lot quicker than others. And some dogs seem to take a long time with a lot of repetition. Um, you know, and you want to consider as well the mental stamina of your dog. If your dog is only used to doing short five minute training sessions, then it's not going to cope very well. If you suddenly take it out and try and do half an hour of repeating, you know, I want you to sit and I want you to heal. I want you to stand and I want you to go and retrieve something from over there. It's going to be too much too soon. So just as we need to increase the physical fitness of our dog, we need to increase the the brain fitness as well. If you like, you know, the, the mental stamina. Um, and just, I think for me, it's like Claire said, that habituation, that exposure, that giving the dog, the ability, the time to take in and absorb everything around it rather than trying to let it hit the ground running, but also making it easier for the dog to do what you're asking it to do at the time. Um, so, for example, you know, if you know you're in a new area, then just make your recall shorter or ask your situation to be for less time rather than expecting it to suddenly go and do that five minute sit or that recall from 400 yards away that you did yesterday in a field that you're in all the time. I can see that Claire's itching to say something, so I'll hand you over. No, you just, you said something that sparked something in my brain. I was like, don't forget this, don't forget it, don't forget it. Um, so basically, along the lines of what you were then saying, Sam, one of the things, and, and Sam, you do behaviour work as well, we both do behaviour work, when we're looking to change behaviour, we can't um, we can't expect the dog to change behaviour unless we've got something else that we can fill that void with. It's very similar when you're proofing training and behaviour. So what I mean by that is, if your dog hasn't yet got solid heel position in the garden or in a low distracting environment, you cannot expect it to be able to form that perform that behaviour properly in a new exciting unknown unfamiliar environment so I always say to people be very careful with a young puppy you need to get them out to lots and lots of places for that environmental habituation but when you're trying to proof training say with an older dog you need that behavior that you're trying to prove to be really solid in those known environments before you take them into those new ones. Don't try and train your dog a new behavior in a new exciting environment. It's a, it's a car crash recipe. Um, that didn't make much sense, but you knew what I meant. Um, <laughs> recipe for disaster makes more sense. So I always say, so for your, for your heel work as an example, and you just use 
recall as an example there, Sam, which is another great one. But for heel work, if your dog can't give you superb heel work in that known, really familiar place, you can't expect it to do it somewhere new. So you need to get that behavior like really, really, really solid. So it's something the dog really understands. They understand what you mean when you ask them for that. And that means that that thing is known and it's the environment that is new, not that both things are relatively new or that the behavior is a bit flaky and you're trying to make it look great in a new environment. I think that made sense. Yeah, absolutely. It's like when you're learning to drive, your instructor teaches you where the examiner is going to be like observing you because you want the environment to be familiar. You want what's coming ahead to be familiar. You don't go, oh, okay, I'm going to take my test in London when I learn to learn to drive in Scotland because you're setting yourself up for a massive car crash recipe which is now going to be the word of the day um, but yeah so I think what you're saying is it makes total sense and as time goes on the generalization does come in I you know we, we talked about the fact that it's as long as a piece of string but it will come in again won't it it will and I think it's you know as part of your whole proofing and your generalization it's worth remembering that if if it took you four steps to teach your dog to deliver a retrieve nicely, then to a certain extent, when you move environments, it's a good idea, it's good practice to sort of go over those four steps. So rather than thinking, right, I've cracked it at home and now I expect the exact same thing out there, you want to practice how you got it at home out there as well so you're making it a lot easier for the dogs to understand what it is you're asking of them and by doing that and by it's repetition and consistency but making it like I said sort of setting up the dog for success and the more success the dog gets the more happy it feels the more happy you feel the more rewards you can give the more likely the dog is to repeat those good behaviors so making it as easy as you possibly can then helps you get through that generalization process quicker than potentially if you just sort of go, well, you can do it there now, I expect you to do it there, and actually we're not going to practice the bits in between. Capability to cope, and it's for us as humans as it is for dogs. So um, another real-life example, my first brain tumour operation, I was rushed in, didn't know I had brain tumour, had an operation four days later, um, was back out four days later uh, after that. So it was all very, very fast, and it was all very, very terrifying. So when they told me on, on the set, when it went back on the second time, I had to have an operation. My consultant was an incredibly good consultant. She's the same consultant today. She arranged for me to go in before my operation, meet the nurses on the shifts, meet the people who'd be looking after me, see the room I would be going into. She did all those things to take steps before I was under that stress to to be able to manage that stress more. And I think sometimes, you know, that's, that's like a, a quite a, a large scenario. But when it came to the second operation, the faces at the bottom of my bed, I, I was familiar with. It made the whole experience far more manageable had I been in a room with, with loads of people I didn't know, terrified, going through something terrified. And for our, our dogs, if you think about it, like let's let's take it to a different scenario. Your dog has never been to group training. And then suddenly you're in group training with a load of faces it's never seen, a load of dogs it's never seen. And you're suddenly saying, 
I'd love you to do all those things. You do a home, please, and do them perfectly. And it's overwhelming, isn't it? Yeah, and group group training is a really good example of that. And it's so common, so, so common for people to say in a group environment, at home, my dog can do this perfectly. At home, he never does that. At home, she never behaves like that. And and it is a genuine thing. And I think I think you have to look at the individual dog. There are some dogs which genuinely are better off training in one-to-ones until those behaviours are absolutely solid and then bringing it into a group class in a structured way. There are other dogs where if you start in group classes young enough, they learn to just do all of those things in a group class. And being in a group is not an alien thing. And that was something I did with Rose. From um from sort of 14 weeks of age, she was in group classes um, that John was teaching that I was in. Um, so it was never an abnormal thing for her. But every dog is unique and different and will deal with that differently. But, you know, some of the most common behavior problems or training issues that people have in group classes is noise, um, running in, showboating, playing keep away. And, and it's usually either one of a few very very common things it's usually either they're nervous in that environment under in that circumstance with all those other dogs or they're showing off in that environment with all those other dogs or it's just simply very exciting and they haven't yet got the self-control to manage their own behavior in that exciting environment and you can't avoid it forever if you really want to join in in group classes then you've kind of got to work through a process, but not going to group classes where there's a lot of gunshot or a lot of dummy launchers, because that is just going to add to the excitement and create more of a problem. So sometimes I work with clients whose dogs technically are excellent, advanced level, but in a group class, they can only do novice level because that level of excitement and that level of adrenaline that goes with the exercises that are in those more advanced classes are too much for the dog to cope with in a group. So it's not about the dog's skill set, it's about the dog's skill set within that specific environment and scenario. So I think you have to recognise that your dog might be at a very different level on a one-to-one basis than it is in a group basis. And that's okay, your dog's got to learn that skill set. I think that comes back to what we were saying earlier about if you change the environment, ask less of your dog. So it's not that you're asking the response to a command to be less perfect. You know, it's not that you're saying if you say sit, you still want that sit to be 100% a sit, not a 50% hover. But it's about thinking what what you're asking of them. So like Claire said, you know, rather than trying to work the dog, at advanced level stuff in that overwhelming, overexciting environment, ask it to work at that slightly lower level so that you can set that dog up for success again. I think um, that as owners, we regularly misinterpret fear in our dogs as almost like an arrogance in our dogs. Like, we completely read it wrong. We think that they are being like ignorant. We think that they are not being naughty because we've covered that in, in uh, earlier podcasts in the last couple of weeks. But do we just completely misread the signs? 
Sometimes handlers do misread the signs and sometimes trainers misread the signs. I work with an awful lot of dogs that have been deemed naughty or misbehaving. What's actually happened is that dogs experienced maybe fear or frustration in that group class scenario and has been told off for that, which has then made it fearful. So then the dog displays another form of behaviour, which is probably undesirable, um, and being told off for that. But what actually starts happening is even when the dog is not any more fearful or feeling frustrated, some of those behaviours have actually then become a habit. So then not only are you working to modify the behaviour of the dog and to to change the feelings that the dog has about them, environment, circumstances, situations and scenarios, you're also then trying to break habits and instill new behaviours. So that's actually quite complex. And quite often dogs are deemed bad dogs. And it's like, no, no, I, I would give up on that dog kind of attitude. And it's like, well, no, the dog had this experience. This is for another chat another day, but there are things called one-time learning events, <laughs> which we're not going to go into now. But that sits with the dog and can re-manifest itself under certain circumstances and certain scenarios, maybe certain stresses, maybe certain frustrations. So all of these things have to be taken into consideration. And that's where I think working as the dog from a behavior perspective, rather than just training a skill set, when you're working with the dog from a behavior perspective and trying to understand the dog and its behavior and why it does it. And now, okay, we've got to stop this behavior. We've got to break this habit and train new skills and new behaviors that are desirable for the handler. It's way, way bigger than just dealing with that you know it's way way bigger this is going to take time to do breaking a habit takes time instilling a new behavior takes time and consistency and persistence and patience and a lot of the time people are in a rush and don't want to do that I felt like I talked really fast then and said a lot of big words <laughs> a lot of the time like you said Claire people are in a rush because I think they've a behavior or a problem has been sort of ongoing for quite some time so the the undesirable behavior has been rehearsed and then they've reached a level where they've gone do you know what I can't take this anymore so that's often where the kind of the the rush to fix it comes in um but I think like everything you've just said you know you've got to you've got to break things down and I think if you're ever in a situation where you're going do you know what I just don't know why this isn't working it normally works fine have a look at the whole picture. Have a look at the exercise that you're asking the dogs to do. Have a look at the environment that you're in. Have a look at the surroundings, the distance, the duration, the distractions, all of that stuff. And really try and find out which piece of the puzzle it is that is the one that's making things fall apart today. And from there, you can then push forward and you can resolve it piece by piece and then have this whole puzzle back together again. I think the important thing for uh, listeners, watchers to take part, uh, take away from this is, it's like we said, never one and done, but also it is continuous implementation for the dog's life. Just as with our children, we don't stop teaching them at a certain point. We know that it's a lifelong journey. It's You've got to go into dog ownership with the same mentality, haven't you? Because I think where I look at 
the biggest frustrations or the biggest points where dogs are rehomed or sent to rescue centers. We know from, from previous podcasts, from previous statistics, they're normally between one and two. They've hit adolescence. They're normally male. They're normally, they're probably the hardest to manage when it comes to, to training. You've got to go through it knowing that even when you're through it, you're still continuing to train and that there is never going to be a point when that dog is so perfect, your job's done. I would agree with that. I think, yeah, you yeah, you get to a point, I think, very often where, where you think you're done. And actually, I had this, and I will very briefly, because, you know, otherwise we're on here for hours. But, you know, I've had to go back multiple steps in my blind retrieves with Rose um, because last year I broke her blind retrieve because I was told by a judge at a working test that I needed to have a straighter line on her blinds so I went about trying to correct it in an appropriate non-aggressive way and um, she she really had a meltdown about not understanding why I was calling her back and resetting her um, and so she stopped running out completely and it's taken me a lot of work to get her running out on blinds again and although I got it really good again she still was looking over her shoulder checking back that I wasn't going to stop her um she wasn't spinning or anything like that but she was sometimes hesitating slowing down looking back and I've had to go back multiple steps multiple steps and that was after you know having you know two or three years of her actually doing lovely long blinds with no stickiness they were just slightly wonky and because I was told I needed to fix that wonkiness I completely broke something and it's been quite hard for me as a trainer and as a handler it's quite hard to accept that perhaps you've in trying to get perfection you've made something worse and I think you know honesty is is always really important because clients go through this sort of thing all the time not necessarily with that but with other things and I think it's important that we share these stories because it all happens it happens to all of us at some point with a dog but my dog won't be given up on just because that thing's gone skew if she's still got all this amazing talent and is a cracking dog and I just have to accept that something got broken and now I'm repairing it. And now it's going really, really well. But I've had to go back to baby steps to achieve that. And it's accepting that and being okay with that. And I think sometimes people are in such a rush for perfection or in such a rush to get to the really cool advanced stuff that things like this happen and they blame the dog or they, they think the dog isn't good enough, or do I need a better line? Did I not choose the right dog for me? And it's like, nothing wrong with the dog. I did something in her training that necessarily wasn't, no, that wasn't necessarily necessary um, to get something more perfect, and it didn't work. And that's okay, it didn't work, so now I'm rebuilding. And I think it's really important to be honest with stuff like that. I think also, you know, you've you've stepped outside I hate this phrase, you've stepped outside the box. So you've you've adapted and you've gone back to teach it, but in a way that you didn't necessarily teach it in the first place. Because if you, you know, my one of my teachers at secondary school, which was quite a long time ago, 
he used to say something and if you sort of say to him you know I'm, I'm sorry sorry I don't understand he would repeat it in the exact same phrase and you'd say but that's not going to make me understand it any better I still don't understand it. you could tell me that same sentence a hundred times and I'm still not going to get it and it's having the ability to go do you know what actually we've got to come about this from a different direction a different perspective and try and find the way that makes it understandable for the dog that we're working with that unique personality in front of us um and having the ability to adapt and to then build upon what you're doing to get the better uh, end result you're you're absolutely bang on you're right and what i have done to fix it is something that i haven't done with her before i've not needed to i've used it with lots of reluctant retrievers and why I didn't think of using it six months ago, I don't know, but I didn't. <laughs> but um, yeah, I've had to think outside the box and go, okay, I need to do something different because I can't just repeat what you just said, Sam, exactly what you just said. I can't just repeat those same steps because she'll expect the end result to be the same. Well, ladies, it's been another incredible podcast. Um, if people subscribe to our podcast on our subscription page, you can get like a top 20 download, a PDF of our top 20 um, podcasts. I have no doubt that within weeks, this will, that'll need amending, this will need adding to it because I think it's a fantastic topic to cover. And I can see from some of the messages I'm getting, et cetera, on Facebook that you're fabulously enjoying it too. Um, we don't normally put our podcast out live like this. Um, so it's been a really fab new experience for us. If you are enjoying our training, want to join us for more training, you can join us next Wednesday, 7.30. We are doing a live webinar. It's called Calm on the Couch, Focus in the Field. And it builds, I think, a little bit on this. So if you want to have a dog where, you know, you've got a little bit more focus outside and you've got a little bit more steadiness and, and better behavior inside we're there to help you with it. It's 7.30 p.m. UK time, okay? So I think we're okay for USA, maybe not so much for Australia. We will do our best as we always do to record it. We do not guarantee it, but we will absolutely do our best. Um, for those who have been listening on Facebook, we hope you've enjoyed. For those listening on Friday's podcast, we hope you've enjoyed too. Please press subscribe. Please uh, leave reviews. It's really, really important because it helps other people find us. Um, thank you, as always, to our group experts for not only doing a podcast like they do really, really regularly, but, uh, but also coming onto Facebook Live uh, unexpectedly with me going, let's go on Facebook Live, that'll be great. Um, and they, they are so um, adaptable, shall we say. They are brilliant at, at being with us to do different things. So I hope that you've enjoyed. I'm now going to end Facebook. I hopefully you can do this properly so then I can put in the end to the podcast. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed. We shall see you all very soon. Goodbye. Thank you very much for listening to this week's Founded Better podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Please subscribe, please review, please share with your friends. And we look forward to seeing you next week with another amazing podcast. That's it for today's episode. A massive thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to head over to the LWDG and sign up for our membership. Get access to expert-led training, a wonderfully supportive community, and the resources you need to become a confident and skilled gun dog trainer. Let's take this journey together, because no woman should have to train her gun dog alone. We'll see you all next week.